Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show, the show that is produced weekly. Yes, it does come out once a week, but it is produced weekly, very weekly. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. Here I am on Tuesday night, the end of August. Wow, hard to believe. Uh, Anyway, in tonight's show, hey, I screwed up. Um, I forgot. (laughs) I forgot I was going to be in Columbus for the pipe show last week, and I didn't get a chance to do do all the uh, taste testing of the Dunhill tobacco that I promised. So instead, we'll have a trip report of my trip to the NASPC Columbus Pipe Show. Uh, My guest tonight is pipe maker Kadesh Swanson. We'll have him on. He makes uh, KJ Pipes. And then... uh, music and uh, this may be you'll either love this or you'll hate it Uh, that's all I gotta say about it Uh, mailbag and a uh, low flying rant coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show (laughs) yeah a low flying rant Um, anyway can't wait for that one Um, but this is uh, this is that uh, that crazy time of the year for me it seems like uh, the minute everybody starts to go back to school from the middle of August straight through until uh, about the, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty much a sprint between now and uh, and Thanksgiving. And then uh, Thanksgiving comes and then I get to slow down a little bit because of, you know, just work slows down around the holidays and get to, you know, hunker down for the holidays. So, I mean, that, you know, between now and uh now in Thanksgiving, we've got uh, the Kansas City Pipe Show coming up in uh, September 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Uh, the Texas-Dallas uh, Pipe Show, which I don't think I will be making it to, but that's still a possibility. And then the uh, West Coast Pipe Show the first weekend in November out in Las Vegas, which I won't miss. Uh, plus throw in there a couple of football games and a couple other things going on around the house and Next thing you know, it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and you know, <laughs> I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at cold weather again right before you know it. Uh, hey, plus our uh, local Renaissance Fair opens up in just about a month, so looking forward to that. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, so the uh, the the trip up to Columbus. Um, I went up there in absolutely no official capacity, except to be me and hang out with friends and smoke and relax. Uh, I did have a slight ulterior motive. I wanted to take uh, I wanted to take the mini up on the highways through West Virginia, and the weather was absolutely perfect for the interstates. There was times when I had the sunroof wide open and the music going and. Those are some nice windy roads through some mountains, and it was uh, it was really fun. Uh, really nice to get the car up there and uh, get to have a little bit of fun and uh, a little bit of sunshine and cruise up and down. So I drove the uh, it's about a seven hour drive. Um, 
And this year had absolutely no uh, no intentions on going to the uh, no intentions on going to the zoo. So uh, got up there uh, Friday at about five five fifteen. Now the fun part for me was uh, back in January uh, when I got stranded in Phoenix for a night. Uh, there was five of us that got stranded. Two of them, two of the people, were. Uh, youngsters from uh, Ohio and they just graduated from Ohio State so I got started talking to them and uh, five of us went out for dinner and everything we exchanged uh, we uh, became friends on Facebook and so on and so on so I told them I said you know look I get to Columbus once a year for this pipe show well uh, Krista and her father and her father's uh, girlfriend all came over to the pipe show on Friday night it was a lot of fun to hang out with them uh, just had a great time walked them around the pipe show got a chance to uh, advise and consent on some uh, pipe purchases and uh, that was that was uh, that was a lot of fun uh, so that was basically uh, Friday night yeah, five hours and then a little bit to eat and then off to bed it was because that was a that was a pretty long day um, Saturday the pipe show was busy all day long and the and I and I have to say the NASPC uh, the pipe show does a great job of putting on an event. I mean, Friday night there was hors d'oeuvres. The bar was, uh, the bar was uh, keeping up pace this year, mostly with uh, with with <laughs> with all of us drinking. And the weather could not have been better. It actually got a little cool outside for me for both nights, and I didn't bring a I didn't bring a sweatshirt or anything, so it got a little bit cold. Um, but they put on one heck of a raffle. And the uh, the raffle prizes all day long were uh, were great prizes. There were some really rare old tobaccos that were donated. One of them was called uh, that uh, one of my friends won was called E I R dash A M, and it uh, just came in a glass jar. It looked like it was made in the ni- in uh, 1942 or 43 from a company in St. Louis. So that was fun to look at. Uh, Table sales, there were a few, uh, there was a couple of last-minute cancellations, so there was a couple of odd tables open, but there's a good selection of estate pipes, new pipe makers, uh, or pipe makers there, a couple of retailers there, and uh, not quite as much tobacco as, as there has been in the past, but that's purely because of the FDA. Um, I did, and I put them on on my Facebook page. There was a couple people that were selling some uh, vintage tobaccos at some prices that I thought were really fair. So my purchases for the NASPC show, a uh, four-ounce tin of Tom's Reserve, which uh, is from McCraney's, and it's canned in 1999. It's the original crop from 1983 of McCraney's Red Ribbon. It's a four-ounce can. Um, I'm looking forward to cracking that open for a special occasion because that means when that tobacco was grown, I was 15 years old, and I am not that young anymore. So it's been uh, 35 years since that tobacco was in the uh, in the ground. Uh, 35? No, 36 years since that tobacco was in the ground. What year is this? 2017? Yeah, 83. Anyway, it's been a long time long time yeah math is failing me uh it's been a long day too uh i also picked up three cans of some old capstan made in liverpool england so that would have been before it switched over to mcbaron probably 
My guess is because of the import, we're going to say 2002 or 2003, and an old tin of McConnell's Red Virginia. Now, none of these tobaccos that I picked out are my absolute favorites. We'll talk about that in a little bit. No, I'm not giving away my super personal favorite. But I decided it was, you know, the prices were right. And, you know, honestly, if I get to the point where I just don't want to open them up, it'll be something that I can take to a pipe show and open up and share or even down in the future. And, you know, in the future... Tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now. Um, lots of friends at the uh, at the pipe show. It's you know that that Columbus group is a good group of people, and having that patio and that bar open is a great place to go and hang out and uh, visit with everybody. I did not did not buy a new pipe. You know, I saw a couple that I liked, but. I just didn't see any pipes that were really uh, either ones I wanted or ones that I wanted to pull the trigger on. Um, you know, again, I'm I'm limiting myself personally to estate pipes unless there's a really super deal on a new pipe. But you know, I really didn't see any pipes that I just wanted to pull the trigger on. Uh, nothing wrong with the pipes that were there. It's just there weren't pipes that really tickled my fancy. There was one pipe that I went back later. Uh, I saw it on Friday, and then I went back on Saturday morning, and it had been sold, so that was good. Uh, did get a chance to, uh, you know, again, walk around each table twice, see what everybody had a couple of times, and if you get a chance... There's no reason not to make it to the Columbus Pipe Show. Admission's free, and there was uh, coffee and water free to everybody all day long, and it's just a good group of people. So there you go. All right, in just a minute, uh, Kadesh will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and it's fun for me to get a chance to sit down and meet young people that I've not had much of a chance to talk to and get to know, and uh, Kadesh, you're one of those. So uh, we're happy to welcome pipe maker Kadesh Swanson to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey, how's it going? All right, so... Let, let's first get to know you. Where where did you grow up? Where do you live now? What did you want to do when you were growing up? I live out here in Pacific Northwest. 
in Washington State, up in the capital city of Olympia. Lush green forest, rain three quarters of the year. Um, <laughs> born and raised here for the most part. Um, yeah, it's really great here. I, I love it. And growing up, man, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. So, still don't know what I want to do, but I think I found something to preoccupy my time for the time being. So you mentioned on your on your website that you've always been fascinated by art. Do you do you remember when that started? Um, honestly, I think it. I remember from elementary school, Saturday morning cartoons, and I take my time to always draw the cartoon characters, and then it kind of progressively went there from going from drawings to doing really complicated origami to paper folding, and it went to martial arts, and it kind of bounced back to lifelike drawings, and then more martial arts, and so there's always this fascination with just being able to creatively express yourself, um, so it's always fascinating to me. never thought of making a career or making money at it by any means, seems like those are the poor man's professions. <laughs> At least when I told my parents that I want to do art, so that was never really a thought in the top of my mind, but yeah, it's always been a fascination of mine. Did, uh, did they kind of help you in, in pursuing art, or did they look at you and go, um, you're crazy, be a lawyer? They were always encouraging never to do it professionally by any means, but uh, they always provide me with sketchbooks or origami paper or they would pay for the karate lessons. They always just thought having an outlet, outlet like that was relatively healthy, but both my parents would say they don't really have much of a freedom bone in their bodies. They always joke about where that came from. They have no idea. It's totally left field with that kind of artistic aptitude. So how do we get to you starting to smoke a pipe? So uh, I started smoking a pipe about five years ago. It was really interesting because one of my close family friends, who was my youth minister um, many years ago, we became good friends after that in adulthood. You know, we're both married, both have kids. And so went from him being a mentor to now being kind of equal to life. And the local parish priest had gotten him into pipe smoking. So if you can imagine that really great uh, imagery of a Catholic priest in this full cassock looking like a character from The Matrix with a church warden <laughs> in a ponytail. So quite the vivid imagery, Father Maurer. And uh, so he got him into pipe smoking, and he had a collection of pipes from his grandfather. And so he invited me out and introduced me to the hobby, and I would say that that was um, kind of love at first sight. The first time I smoked a pipe, I had um, kind of another worldly experience. Um, so my dad was a heavy cigarette smoker, and so whenever we would go hunting or fishing or run errands together, you know, he was always smoking, so I was very familiar with the essence of tobacco because for the most part, you know, cigarette smoke does just smells different than pipes, but there's that, that essence of tobacco in there that you can always pick up on, and so when I first loaded up a pipe, I remember the smell, and my dad 
stopped smoking for 10 years at that point. And so first, the first toke and the aroma just shot me back into nostalgia. Just uh-huh. all the great memories that I had of my dad just came flooding back. And then I remember all of a sudden I just felt like there was somebody in the room with me. And it was like a very welcoming feeling, kind of like welcome to the club. I had no yeah. idea where that was coming from, but nonetheless, it just kind of really added to that monumental moment of my first high smoking experience. About a month or two later, my grandfather invited me over to his house and said he had a gift for me. And when I got there, he handed me three pipes and said that those were his dad's who had packed many years ago. And so it kind of put two and two together, and I really think that 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 welcome feeling I had was probably my great-grandfather was an avid pipe smoker, kind of giving me the, the nod of approval of welcome to the Brotherhood of the Briar, if you will. Wow. that I mean, that that's a hard moment to top in life. It was something else, and I'll, I'll carry that the day that I died. It's just, it's just imprinted on my memory. That, that genesis of where the pipe, everything journey started. So from that point on, were you kind of uh, hooked on the hooked on pipe smoking and uh, just? Oh yeah, I remember my first pipes were. I would go to uh, antique stores, and so I would just try and pick up any pipe that I could find that looked decent. And I started gaining a you know a small collection of just these old state pipes that paid under twenty dollars for. They're just classic billiards. Or maybe now and then you'd find like a a Peterson that was a really unusual shape, and so I started collecting and, and smoking. At the time, you know, my wife and I just starting out married, were as most people flat broke, yeah. and so I would scrounge up whatever change that I could get to go to um, websites to have them to purchase tobacco. Then I'd have it shipped to Montana, and then from Montana, I'd have my father-in-law shipped it to me since it was most companies back then would not ship to Washington State. I would have to <laughs> piggyback from one state to the other state to finally get it to myself. <laughs> so, so not only are you a young married person on a budget, you got your own state that's uh, fighting you to get to get tobacco at a decent price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> um, what were the what were some of the first tobaccos that you started out on? That's, that's the first tobacco I ever smoked was a cherry blend, which I think most people start off with is some sort of cherry or aromatic, uh, aromatic. Yeah. And um, from there, I kind of started with the aromatic. And then I remember my first non-aromatic was actually, as luck would have it, a Seattle Pipe Club blend. At that time, I hadn't joined the Seattle Pipe Club. I didn't know anything about them. I just heard Seattle Pipe Club blend. So that was really intriguing, you know, kind of being from my home state and only an hour away from me. And it said plum pudding. And I was not a tobacco connoisseur, so I thought it was an aromatic. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, this is going to be tasty, plum pudding. That sounds so good. And so I, I get the bag of plum pudding, I open it up, and I, I'm like, what the heck is this? This does not smell like plum pudding. And uh, I said, what the heck? I paid for it. This is all the tobacco I have for the time. So I put my first bowl together in this church warden I got from a tobacco shop, a really old one up in Seattle, and uh, I lit it, and I was like, this is actually really tasty. And as luck would have it, that's when I transitioned away from aromatic to going towards more non-aromatic. And Plum Pudding was my first introduction to the non-aromatic side of um, 
pipe tobacco, and now I enjoy a good Virginia Perique. It's not my go-to. You've come over to the darkest side of Perique. <laughs> so now you're yes. now you're married. You've got young kids. Mm-hmm. And in addition to working full time and all your other stuff, you decide that you want to start making pipes for fun and for another thing to do because you don't have any free time left. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, yeah, so the, the transition to pipe making came from, um, I was uh, having, at this point, the artistic side, and there was very much an entrepreneurial side to myself, and I was sitting there wondering, what am I, I going to do? Because in the midst of a, of a string of this job, I was very much unsatisfied with, and I was sitting there and saying, okay, you know, I, I just had to do something different. And I was shopping on on eBay for some more, like, estate pipes, and this is at the midst of a job layoff. It came right around the holiday season. So it was a horrible time to have a job layoff. And so at that point, just something kind of snapped in my head, and I said, I got to do something different. I don't know what I'm going to I'm gonna do. And that's, I was looking through eBay, and I found um, this newer estate, this new pipe that was on eBay, and it was very wonky, freehand, multi-color, multi-texture-looking pipe. Um, I don't remember who the maker was, and so I said, that looks interesting, and so it led me to the term artisan pipe. So then I go and put that into Google, and the first uh, search result that came up was a website for J&J, which are no longer together. It's just Jared Cole now, yeah. and they had a video a little introduction to the brand where they describe why they make pipes and they have a little montage of the pipe making process and what really struck a chord with me was they're talking about how they're there in their customer's life through their through their art, through their pipe making. Very special bond between the pipe maker and the pipe smoker and how a pipe gets brought out for usually significant points in people's lives, whether it's leisure, whether it's just thinking about life. Maybe they're stressed out. They, they will retreat to their pipe for a moment of solitude. And that just struck a chord with me. And I just thought it was so meaningful. And from that point, I said, this is meaningful work. And that's what I was kind of missing in my other work was a sense of meaning and purpose. So I said, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to be a pipe maker. And so this is where the story is a little bit different than most guys who smoke a pipe and then they start out with a pipe kit. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And so I actually went and started a, a, like a GoFundMe account to become a pipe maker to get supplies and some machinery. And I was just all in. This is what I wanted to do. And so I got fully funded. with a small little amount of money. And I asked my parents if I could borrow a corner of their garage. And so I started with a very, very tiny little lathe, a beat-up old motor for shaping, which I still have today and I still use and some files that I picked up in an estate sale, and just other necessities. It was very, very rudimentary, very basic. I just started making pipes. That is a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more pipe making, and uh, we'll just... uh... (laughs) <laughs> we'll we'll explore what's inside you like you dig around in the briar so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute
The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with, uh, well, I'm going to call you young because you are relatively young, but uh, young pipe maker Kadesh Swanson. And can, can you just tell briefly the, uh, the story of your first name? Uh, first name, Kadesh, it's, yeah. uh, it got picked out from my parents who were just searching for names. My dad is Norwegian Swedish. My mom is uh, full blood Hispanic. And so they're looking for a name. And my dad, actually, being the Norwegian Swedish, wanted me to have an Aztec name. And <laughs> if he had his way, I would have had the name Kuauk which was the name of the last Aztec emperor. My mom said, no way. So they picked out a less hard to pronounce name in Kadesh, which is from the Bible. So Kadesh acquired Demok, and so I ended up with Kadesh. Well, I think I think it's cool because it's not just another uh, Joe, Ted, or uh, Ralph out there. Yeah, or another John or Matthew. Yeah, and nobody will ever confuse you with any other pipes, but you. Uh, with any other pipe makers, but you do use your initials. You use KJ for your brand. Yeah, my first and middle initial. Yeah. All right. So you you just got your equipment. You got all set up. How did how did the first couple of pipes go? Horrible. <laughs> uh, but I thought they were great at the time. So I think that's how everybody. It's the same journey for everybody. You make your first couple pipes, you're so proud. I made this with my own two hands. They're the ugliest things in the world, but you're so proud of them. And so it was interesting because I think that what's really integral to this is that you know, pipe making is first and foremost an art form. And when I first started, I didn't, I didn't really understand the depth of the art. And so for me, it was just kind of like, I need to you know, make money. And so that's just, so that's why I always had this, this mentality that everything that I did was really, really good because I needed to sell it. And so I remember that, you know, the first pipe or two I sold were just the cost of materials to some good friends just because they're excited that there's a pipe maker and they had been into pipe smoking. And so those guys have my very first pipes um, to my friends. And so that was in May. I got all my equipment in April, May, I think it was 2013, I believe. And then I went to the Vegas show. So just started in May and I went to the Vegas show with one pipe for critique. And it was this really wonky looking freehand. And 
I remember going to that big show thinking I was amazing. I'm thinking, I'm going to get so much praise on this pie. And then when I went there, I got, I think people say you get a slice of humble pie. They, they gave me the whole pie. <laughs> and so I just got torn apart. And I remember very vividly that that's when my mentality shifted, going from, you know, singing to make money is an art form. So I got to go to the show and I got to hold these pipes from really well-respected artists. And I got to go see, you know, John and Jared from J&J and got to see their pipes. And so that was, you know, really cool, kind of like Comic-Con, but for pipes. You know, you go to those yeah. shows and you admire all these makers and you get to see them in the flesh and their work. So you're geeking out a little bit. So I get to see these pipes and I get to hold them and I get to hold my pipes that I made. And looking at those two, just on my own, I just thought this, this huge gap in skill sets. I was looking at them just like blown away. You get to hold them. You get to feel the weight. You get to look at the lines. You get to, in a way, kind of feel the energy of the pipe, like the movement that the pipe has. You know, and you get to ask them about it. What were you thinking when you made this? What was your inspiration? And it just opened up my my mind to all the facets of, of pipe making. So the second thing that I realized was I can't do this on my own. I need to, I need someone to teach me. Because I'm such a visual learner, especially with this stuff with a medium that's not necessarily very easy to work with. It's a whole other thing from paper and pencil and equipment that I've never used before trying to learn. And so that's when I started asking around if people would, <coughs> would help out. And so I met a guy by the name of John Jensen. Uh, he doesn't make pipes anymore, um, but his moniker was the Rebs Pipes. Yeah. And um, he said that he would help me out. That was really good. At the time, he was still fresh in pipe making. He was like a little over two years into his journey, but he was an original student of Grant Batson. He had gone to some open seminars that Jeff Rasick had at his house. He had spent some time with J&J at the time. So he really knew his fundamentals very, very well. So that was good to get someone to help show me that. And the second person I asked was Steve Whiskey. I gave him my pipe, and I said... What do you think? And first thing he says, do you want me to be honest with you or do you want me to blow smoke up your butt? And I said, <laughs> give it to me straight. I've already been beaten down. What's one more? And uh, he looked all over and he said, you'll, I'll tell you what you did right. And he said, you drilled it straight. Okay? And I was waiting for him until the next thing I did right. And then he just stopped right there. And then I feel like he did right. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Great. I'm really going back to the drawing board. And um, so that was just kind of the, the beginning of that and kind of um, the journey towards getting to where I am right now. So I went to John's house in so shows in November, February. I was in down in California with John, spent the weekend with him. And Whiskey um, gave me that harsh critique, but then he also said, a necessary critique, but then he said, you know, I have nothing to offer you right now. Anything I'm going to tell you is going to go right over your head. So, you know, talk to me in another eight to nine months. Maybe if I see you in Chicago, let me see if you stick around and let me see if you get any better. And then maybe we can talk about you coming out. So, February, I was down in um, the Ohio Valley with John Jensen and then got back, was really gun ho you know, some really good 101 basic stuff, just how to shape, how to drill my pipe, how to do some staining, a little bit of stem work and there's still a lot of things that was guesswork that not everything you can 
get done in three days. You know, just not you can't go through everything that is a pipe making in three days. So I just got the basics out of it. Practice, practice, practice. Come that August, I contacted Lisky again and I said, "Hey, this is I've been working really hard. I hope you can see some improvements, but there's still a lot of things that I need help with that I just am having a hard time figuring out on my own." And he said, "All right, you know." You're doing a good job. You're on the right track. I feel like you're at a point right now that I can definitely teach you and, and stuff will stick. And so, and in October, I was down at Lisky's place. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> and that January, uh, the Seattle Pipe Club held their great, like, annual auction dinner. And Jeff Grayson was the keynote speaker, and Jared Coles was a guest. So I brought a couple pipes that I really wanted to show them, and I they looked them over, gave me some good critique. Uh, Jared pulled and he immediately invited me over and said, "I've been watching your work. I can see it now that I get to see it in person. This is such a great improvement from the last time that I saw you at that first show. Um, you know, you're more welcome to come out to the to my house to come work." And so that was good. And then I showed Jeff. Jeff was. Um, uh, a little bit more harsh, a little more, oh, obviously harsh, a little bit more of a harder critic, especially when it came to asking if he would be open to keeping, just because just so many people are asking for attention, and he's just cranking up so many pipes, you know, he's just quite the, you know, pipe personality when it comes to people wanting his attention, and so, you know, he was happy with the work, and he said, let's talk a little bit more about it. That's January, and then we follow up to October, which would be just this last October, I went down to California and Fresno to study with Jared for a couple of days. And I drove five hours down to San Diego to spend another couple of days with Jeff. So that's kind of been the progression of, of learning with these guys. And each time you learn something different, you know, you build off what you learned from the last guy, and then you get a new experience from these guys. At the end of the day, you're just really hoping for something uh, to click and stick with you. Kind of like math. You know, you just don't yeah. get it. You don't get it. And you finally get tutors involved. Once you get the tutors and something clicks, and then you can you can do it on your own. Because now you get it. And so that was, those last two friendships really helped. Kind of those aha moments. It kind of helped me give me the confidence to say, I got this. You know, I can start working and start finding my own, my own aesthetic. So... That had to be uh, that had to be uh, uh, something, uh, some kind of bravery of yours to uh, go to that one Las Vegas pipe show. Get you essentially, you went there, you got your ass busted, and then you yeah. still went back to those guys afterwards and said, "Now, how did I do?" Yeah, it's funny because there was no bravery in going to the show because I went into line. I was going in there thinking I'm going to get some, I was ready to go to, I was excited, I was ready to get praised. <laughs> so when I went there and I got the exact opposite, that's, you know, that was, that was tough, but like, so that's where the mentality switched. You know, that's when it went from, I want to do this, you know, I, I, I took the time, this is what I did, I made that affirmative choice, and this is what I want to do with my life, this is what I want to do. And so when I went in there and I got the harsh critique, it was, it was an eye-opener, the next level of art, but at the same time, too, saying this is what I have to do to get better. So it was discouraging at first, but then it was 
can look the fire and say, okay, now I know what I need to do to get better. So kind of that's why I kind of came up with that plan of this is what I need to do to get to the next level. This is what I need to get better, and so forth. And so that's that's where it changed. The perspective changed. Yeah, and it in pipe making is a completely different art because you're dealing with a medium that you don't have a hundred percent control over. I mean, you. You, you talk about having to read the briar and see where the pipe is in there. Uh, the briar may lie to you at the start. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's definitely, in, you know, with the mentality change of the, the art, you know, it's, I've been doing pipes now for a little over four years. And one of the things, too, with the artistic side is that in, you know, when I went to college, like, my two-year degree was actually in a focus is in philosophy, and so if that mentality combined with the artistic side, it, it really makes me look at everything differently instead of just trying to create something. It's that delicate dance between the artist and the material, not imposing your will, listening to what the materials are telling you wants to be. Um, there was the, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci, if I'm correct, when he would do his sculptures. He, his, one of his famous quotes was, I just removed everything that's not statue. Yeah. From yeah. that block of granite. And so it's the same thing, too, where there's that balance of looking at the grain, what design do I think is going to fit there? And then when you break into it, if a flaw happens, you know, well, what if that flaw was intentional? Because maybe the design that you had wasn't what the block wanted to be. And so that, that flaw popped up. So that way, it's, it's the real form can come out. So the true design can come out. Those are little consciousnesses that I think about, and you know, I just trying to as I'm going forward and developing more skill sets and, and understanding this a little bit more, trying to take this to the next level in regards to how the, the art is made. Um, you know, one of my favorite shows I love to watch is on Netflix called Chef Table. So they profile some of the best restaurants chefs and the best restaurants in the world. When you listen to these guys and how they view their their food, they're not concerned about just making something that tastes good and putting it on a plate. They think to the next level and they say, how can I invoke a feeling out of out of an individual? When they eat my food, I want them not to just say this tastes good, but I want them to do that but then feel something. Can I invoke some, some emotion? Can I can I incorporate more? One guy was like, why do I even have to put stuff on a plate? You know, a plate's so constricting and what I can what I can serve someone. So he creates this dessert where he uses a whole table to display the dessert. So it's things like that where you think about it and you, you think about the collector themselves and you know, why is a collector making the choices that they, they make? What about a certain types are beautiful to the collector and, and why are some not? Are they influenced by trends or is there a series of, of patterns and experiences in their life that subconsciously influence what they buy because maybe there's a subtle curve, you know, that in their life has been, can, has been repetitive. Like they are in a certain geo, geographical area where trees or mountains are involved, and so they see very certain silhouettes all the time, and maybe subconsciously they're looking for a pipe that mimics textures or silhouettes they've seen growing up. Maybe that's why they're drawn to certain shapes over others. And so as a pipe maker, what I'm thinking about and trying to, to do and, and moving forward is just trying to take a look at the art a little bit deeper and 
and am I happy with what I'm making? Are the lines correct? Do I, when I look at the pipe, is everything where it needs to be? Is everything flowing cohesive? And, you know, what influences what I like? You know, what in my life has influenced what I find aesthetically pleasing versus another person? So it's just concepts like that that I think about and try to incorporate in, into pipes, you know, very subtly. And then, like I said, a skilled advance that could more effectively um, implement those types of philosophical ideas into this. I start understanding my briar better and on a deeper level, how it behaves and what I can do to manipulate it. It'd be cool if every pipe gave, every pipe you made gave us that same moment you had when you first tried a pipe. Exactly, and I think that exactly that's that thing is like those pipe smokers talk about that aha moment when they smoke a pipe. Yeah, you know, it was just it was just right. We just had that glorious smoke. It was life changing. <laughs> or for me, it's the moment when I can no longer do anything else but sit and smoke the pipe because it's taken over every sense that I. It's it's taking complete control out of me. <laughs> uh, you're you're doing pipes part time. How many pipes a year do you think you're capable of making? So, um, I would say I probably do about forty eight in a year. I do it for a month. Um, and, I mean, technically, you could say that I'm full time in the sense that. As of recently, my wife uh, just went back into the workforce as the middle school uh, youth minister at our church. And so she does the nine to five. And so I get to play a stay at home dad. And <laughs> then I work at night on pipes. And so and technically I do it full time because that's, the, that's what I contribute to the household is, is what I do through pipes. And then my wife does the rest of her job. But 48 with time crunches and, you know, the nine to five that she works and then getting home, spending time with the family. My shop time is actually between the hours of 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, so if I'm really tired, I'm not going to make it to the shop that night. <laughs> four <laughs> months is what I can handle. To, uh, to see some of the pipes, the website is kjpipes.com and uh, I know you got a couple of, you got a retailer or two out there, but I mean, our goal now is to, uh, is to get you in the shop as much as possible and uh, keep you uh, yeah. making pipes. Where do they start out price-wise? So the pipes are, this is just obviously my opinion, but I feel relatively modestly priced. They um, start at Right around 275 is where they start out for a glass. Um, there's like a contrast glass or something special. And then the upper end would be for a very nice smooth pipe to top off close to the $400 range for a very nice smooth pipe. So they're, they're perfectly priced and, uh, and the pictures I've seen, they're beautifully made. Uh, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sounds good. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is this little bamboo elephant split that I got from Lifty. I bought it when I went for my understudy with him. So that's very sentimental value to me. And what is your favorite tobacco? 
I do like a luxury Navy Flake and Three Nuns. <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Uh, I enjoy a good Moscow Mule or Kentucky Mule. Vodka or bourbon with ginger beer. And as a father of young kids, uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, A movie or writing. Well, that's not one of the answers, but I'll let you keep that in there anyway. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, finally, any uh, particular... Pipe smoking related memory that uh, that we haven't talked about yet. My favorite memories are always hanging out in Seattle Pipe Club at their usual meetings. Love smoking with those guys up there, Smokey Joe's Cigar Lounge. Yeah, you got a good you, you got a good group of guys up there, and you got a ton of knowledge up in that club too. So uh, pick their oh, brains yeah. for whatever you can get. Listen, they've they've been instrumental. They bought me my first stamp. So they're a great, they're a great group of guys out there. Very supportive. There you go, uh, Kadesh. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, I, I'm assuming we'll uh, we'll see you at a couple of shows over the next year or so. Uh, definitely, we've got to see me at Vegas this year. Oh, and one last thing: um, the website I don't update that often. The best place to do Facebook AJ Pipes or Instagram AJ Pipes would be the best place to keep up with continual work. Yeah, you're one of those young guys with that Instagram and Facebook stuff. And all right, well, we'll we'll check it out. And uh, thanks again. No problem. Bye. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy, and just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. Do make sure and check out uh, KJ Pipes on Facebook and uh, Instagram and all that stuff. He's making some really nice stuff and... uh, yeah, it'd be nice to support the uh, support the guy and uh, hey, make him a full time pipe maker. All right, um, for music. So I kind of warned you. Uh, you know those parts of the internet where if you search far enough, you find really weird things and really strange stuff. Well, I have this list of uh, pipe smoking musicians, and you know, I have. Spotify, and every once in a while I just put some odd names in there and see what pops up, and I knew that, I knew that Leonard Nimoy had recorded some music in his past, I didn't really know what it was like until uh, late last night, (laughs) anyway, um, yeah, there's like 
six or seven albums of stuff that Leonard Nimoy has recorded and put out, and some of it's, um, well, I'll just, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, but if you go on Spotify and search Leonard Nimoy, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff, including this one. It's only fitting that it's the ballad of Bilbo Baggins based off of the Lord of the Rings character, and here's Leonard Nimoy. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him bilbo bilbo baggins he's only three feet tall bilbo bilbo baggins the bravest little hobbit of them all now hobbits are peace loving folks you know they're never in a hurry and they take Slow. They don't like to travel away from home They just like to eat and be left alone But one day Bilbo was asked to go On a big adventure to the caves below To help some dwarves get back their gold That was stolen by a dragon in the days of old, old Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins is only three feet tall Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins Bravest little hobbit of them all. Well, he fought with the goblins. He battled a troll. He riddled with Gollum. A magic ring he stole. He was chased by wolves, lost in the forest, escaped in a barrel from the elf king's halls. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. Treasure of silver and gold, a puffin' on his pipe in his hobbit ho oh, oh, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Well, what'd you think? Um if you like that, again, Spotify, search Leonard Nimoy. There's a bunch of other stuff there. If you didn't like that, um, well, I can't blame you. It was interesting. You can definitely tell the uh, time period was uh, late 60s, early 70s when it was recorded. And um, I think that's, uh, well, let me just say two things. One, there's places where people boldly shouldn't go and uh two i thought hobbits were from jackson mississippi in the mailbag going back to last week the first part with neil uh casey ghost writes a truly good show neil was a fabulous guest i can remember when he came to the kc show as our banquet speaker he gave a fabulous speech that centered on his youth in wyoming I'm glad to see that he is still going to pipe shows. I can remember buying his book at the Chicago Pipe Show. He was very graciously, uh, he very graciously autographed it, even though he barely knew who I was. 
the music by Jerry Lewis was appropriate considering his recent passing, but he should have left the singing to Dino. I wonder what Dan's going to say about the uh, Leonard Nimoy piece. Uh, maybe he should have left. Maybe Leonard Nimoy should have left the singing to uh, Chekhov. Uh, anyway. Uh, we'll find out next week. <laughs> uh, Dino, our own Dino, writes, Thanks, Dan. People have often commented on my singing voice. Oh, wait, you mean Dean Martin. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, he goes on to say, uh, Brian, a terrific conversation with Neil. I've spoken to him a couple of times at the Chicago shows. A real nice person. I have one blue riband, shape 157. It's a great smoker. I was speaking with uh, fellow summer interviewee Mike Zika at our Pipe Club meeting Saturday, and we were both very enthusiastic about your proposed tobacco investigative reviews. Thanks for an entertaining show, Dino. Uh, You're welcome, Dino. And I'm also very enthused by uh, some of the suggestions that have been sent in, uh, sent to me for uh, tobaccos to review. It's, uh, I've got five that have been sent in and uh all uh, uh, yeah uh all well three of them i've haven't smoked in a long time or am not familiar with at all so that'll be uh that'll be fun to try so that'll keep me busy for a while and keep my uh corn cob pipes fired up for a while because there's a couple of them that i'm not putting in any pipe that i want to smoke myself uh and uh speaking of that Andrew sent me a message on Facebook and he said, I've always wanted to ask you this question, Brian. I know you're a Virginia smoker and a vapor smoker like I am. What blends do you like to smoke? Well, I won't tell you what my one go-to every day is and I won't even mention it in this list. But I will tell you some of the other blends that I like to rotate in. Um, on the McClellan side, uh, every summer, and that's why I bought the four ounce can of red ribbon. I like to open up a couple of cans of McCraney's red ribbon and have those in the morning with my first cup of coffee. Yeah. Maybe one, I might, I might go through a total of two tins a summer because when it's time, yeah, summertime might smoke a bowl of that in the morning. Um, also from uh, Made by McClellan, I like St. James Woods. That pretty much substituted for the uh, Escudo. Um, and I also like uh, Beacon Extra and Tudor Castle. Now, these are all blends that have, they're basically the same. Tudor Castle, Beacon Extra, St. James. They're Virginia Periques, slight modifications and little variations between them. So I like to kind of swap them in and out. Uh, Non-McClelland, from the the Facebook Live event that I'll do again in a couple of weeks, I promise. Uh, Esoterica's Tilbury is just a good straight Virginia. I like it along with the Amphora Original Blend. Just simple Virginia's, very good flavor. little bit of sweetener on there not a lot of topping but again i used to like the dunhill three-year matured 
And then I found out that if you age it too long, I didn't like what the uh, little topping they put on there does to it. So for that straight, simple Virginia taste, Esoterica Tilbury um, and Amphora Original Blend in the pouch. Those are those are my two. A uh, couple of other oddballs. I really, I really still do like the uh, HH uh, McBaron Old Dark Fired. It's good, hearty, meaty. Uh, will give you a nicotine buzz if you're not careful. Uh, but I always describe it to people as when you're sitting there, when you sit down and you eat a steak, you know there's not a lot of flavor coming at you, but when you go to get up, you know that you just ate a steak. Well, that's exactly what the uh, McBaron's uh, HH Old Dark Fired is. Good, solid flavor all the way through, but when you're at the end of the bowl, boy, you know you're at the end of the bowl. Um, let's see, what else do I have a little bit of in my uh, in my selection? Um Samuel Gallus Cabbies mixture, kind of like that as an alternative also to Escudo, and I still have some Escudo floating around. But again, it's a, it's a relatively narrowed little group of tobaccos that I like and styles that I like. So there you go. And uh, no, my favorite, my absolute diehard favorite, didn't mention it in that list. And uh, lastly, and this was kind of cool posted a day ago and i found it on the uh on pipes magazine's forums under the uh, naspc roll call and it says from mr harris uh this was my first pipe show and i must say it was a great day i drove from columbus indiana and made my way over smoking some early morning pipe this was a fitting choice for the day because i was up by 5 a.m on the road by 6 I couldn't have been more satisfied with the selection, uh, information, and unforgettable atmosphere. Thanks to all the guys who helped me out. As of this morning, I'm a proud member uh, to the NASPC Brethren. Um, I got some great tins, the annual t-shirt, and the Ranger Show tobacco. Couldn't pull the trigger on a pipe, but I enjoyed but enjoyed perusing the aisles a multitude of times and seeing a variety of pipes to fit any budget. The English teacher ain't got too much money. Well, listen, don't feel bad. I didn't pull the trigger on any pipes either. Uh, he goes on to write, I even got to meet Brian Levine. I spoke with him very briefly, but could tell he was as genuine as the great pipe podcast he puts out every week. I tried not to nerd out, but it was kind of hard. I started listening to the podcast a few months ago, and the one I listened to on the way home was with Father Dave, episode number 15. Completely coincidental, he spoke about Columbus, Cincinnati, and the Carousel Pipe Shop where I bought my first church warden. I was driving home on that exact route and even drove past the Oldenburg exit where the father serves with the Franciscans. Father Dave ended the interview with a blessing for all pipers. I realize making reference to that podcast is fairly obscure, but it was the perfect end to an almost perfect day. I suppose next time I'll either get 12 raffle tickets or 14. Those 13 didn't win me a darn thing. Um, Let me say that that's just really cool. And to all of you that came up and said hello to me and thanked me for for doing the show... 
I really appreciate that. You really don't know how much I appreciate that. I mean, it's just, it's great. Most of the time I sit here and we do the show and we get two or three comments posted on them. And, you know, I'm not, I know it's going out there and I hear people, I can see that people are listening, but it's just really cool to get comments like that and comments from everybody. I mean, there's a ton of you. So thank you very much. Um, also cool that you got to listen to, uh, the Father Dave episode while driving right by where he works. So there you had a little, uh, little uh, guided tour for your drive home. All right. Low flying rant next. Cowboy. Cowboy. Here we go flying low because I was driving in uh, southern Ohio on a state route and I'm cruising along. It's a two-lane road, a divided two-lane road, nice big grass median, two lanes side by side going north and I'm cruising along and there's a warning sign on the side of the road that says low flying aircraft. All right. Now picture this. First of all, I'm in a Mini Cooper. The only thing that gets lower than that is if you're laying down on a skateboard. But I'm in a Mini Cooper on a two-lane road doing about 60 miles an hour. And there's a warning sign about low-flying aircraft. Now, what the hell am I supposed to do if there's a low-flying plane coming at me? I got left, right, slow down, or go fast. Why Why don't they put up a sign for the aircraft that says, Warning, you're about to hit a road. Pull up, dummy. No, instead they want us to, to be worried about low-flying aircraft. Uh, where am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to hide behind a tractor trailer? Well, that's what I did. I found a tractor trailer. I kind of tucked in behind him and figured, all right, let him hit the low-flying aircraft first, and then I'll just kind of go through and sneak through in the dust pile. No, instead I'm sitting there thinking, all right, what well, really, if I see a plane coming towards me, what am I going to do? Hit the brakes, speed up, change a lane that changing a lane is not going to help it's not like i got a lot of options so it's hit the brakes or speed up uh you know maybe they ought to move the road away from what turns out to be a little regional airport and uh you know let the uh, low flying planes have a little bit more uh runway and they can kind of stay up in the air a little longer over us anyway uh warning low flying planes there you go all right uh Once again, please keep sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show with everybody that you know. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your enemas. Uh, Keep sharing the word out there. Ratings ratings and reviews are much appreciated. Uh, Next week will be uh, the second part of Neil, and we'll finish up year five with that. And then uh, two weeks from today, we start year number six of the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And that's all uh, thanks to you guys. So, with that being said, thank you to uh, Kadish for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Happy
Bum, 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 bum,